Again, just really appreciate the, the ability to, to worship with you. Bethlehem has always been very loving to me. I certainly appreciate that. And uh, certainly Brother Tim as well. You know, I guess I would consider my dad my father in the ministry because I kind of came up under him. But it seems like that my, who I would call my uncles and big brothers in the ministry have probably had a bigger impact on me <laughs> over the last five years. And I, I certainly consider uh, Brother Tim, depending on age, and he just turned 50, right? Uh, maybe my uncle in the ministry, but, but uh, I don't think there's anyone that's been more encouraging to me than Brother Tim. And Bethlehem Church, too. There's some people from Zion here, too. And, you know, I started visiting out here when I was just beginning to exercise. And I'd listened to some audio of some sermons back then, and they weren't very good. But at the same time, you were so encouraging. I felt like the second coming of Sonny Piles. <laughs> I tell you, they weren't near that good. I hope they've improved a little bit over time, but they weren't near as good as you made me think that they were. <laughs> but uh, people that are coming up in the ministry need that kind of encouragement. And I appreciated it for sure, and I appreciate it now as well. So I love you, love Brother Tim and his family so much, and just thankful to have a chance to uh, be with you here this evening. I'd ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This chapter begins with Jesus praying unto God the Father. And as I'm sure is very understandable, as the apostles heard Jesus pray, the second person of the Godhead praying to God the Father, they felt very inadequate in listening to Jesus pray in that way. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So, Lord, whatever you're doing, we're not doing it just right. And then he gives them a, a little bit more of a condensed version of the, uh, the disciples' prayer that we know more from the Sermon on the Mount. And then he gives them a, a parable, and we'll go ahead and read through this parable. Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, has come unto me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto thee, though he will not rise and give, and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? And if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And that's what we want to think about this evening, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, but particularly us boldly asking the Lord to give us His Holy Spirit. Now... We have to first set this in the appropriate context, as we know. Uh, this certainly, nothing we're going to talk about this evening has anything to do with the new birth or regeneration. 
We know that's done solely by the sovereign act of God, and uh, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and that's uh, determined by the will and the purpose of God. And you certainly don't have the ability to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart, or to ask the Holy Spirit to born you again. But I've realized that there's arguably nothing that I need to pray for more on a daily basis than, Lord, just give me your Holy Spirit. Because I hope as we kind of consider this together this evening that you can maybe reach some of the same conclusions that I've been reaching as I've meditated on this, is that just about every problem in my life, just about every mistake I make, every deficiency I have, is because of the lack of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit just fixes all of it. (laughs) He fixes all of that. And also notice the persistence with which he says you need to be asking just in general in prayer, right? This is a good lesson in general in prayer. Ask and uh, shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. But there is an increased level of persistence and uh, as it says <laughs> earlier on in this uh, parable of the, uh, the friend, uh, an increased level of importunity. <laughs> now thankfully we're not annoying the Lord when we bring those petitions before Him, but there is an increased persistence. And with increased persistence comes a greater degree of, of answer of those prayers. Um, one of the ways in which we're, one of the qualifications in which we're supposed to pray is to pray that God's will would be done. Now, uh, obviously God's will is always going to be to give the Holy Spirit and the special manifestation and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Obviously God's will is always going to be to give his children more of the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so we, need, we always need to pray with that qualification. But this is not something that the Lord is going to uh, say, it's not my will to give, is what I'm saying. There's a lot of things we pray for, and we say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, uh, because we don't know what's best for us. And we need to trust, as it says, uh, that if we ask, uh, if, if we are going to give good gifts to our children, obviously God and our God's our heavenly Father knows what's best for us. And if He doesn't give us what we ask for, there's a high probability we don't need it, and we need to trust that. But this is something <laughs> that uh, we don't ever have to be concerned that it's not the Lord's will to give us this when we ask it. Okay, and we need the presence of the Holy Spirit every single day of our life. Because uh, you know many of these verses very well, and I want to just kind of uh, put a little bit different uh, spin on it uh, this evening and hope it makes sense to you. We know that uh, Jesus Christ is perfectly one with the Holy Spirit. And he, uh, everything that Jesus does, the Holy Spirit does, and God the Father does, a three in one and one in three. So uh, Philippians chapter four and verse 13, I'm sure you know that verse very well, right? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And I always like to couple that with uh, John chapter 15 and verse five, where Jesus says, for without me, you can do nothing. So you can do all things through Christ. Praise God for that. But without him, you can do nothing. And I would say it's, it's absolutely just as true <laughs> To say, without the Holy Spirit, I can't do anything. 
but I can do all things through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. He is God. So when we say that, we're saying, God, I need your presence on a daily basis. I need the presence of Jesus Christ. I need the presence of the Holy Spirit. And just that presence of the Holy Spirit fixes so many problems. Um, John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is um, delivering this final sermon to the apostles. And obviously they get very concerned. You know, he's been kind of prepping them for it for a long time. But now he's, he's really just speaking very plain and saying, I'm going away. And, and they say, well, where are you going? And they get very concerned about that. But he said, uh, even though I'm going away, though, okay, verse 16 of John chapter 14, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he, that he may abide with you forever. Okay, so Jesus Christ, the physical uh, presence of God manifest in the flesh, was on the earth for 33 and a half years, but, but that physical body is going away. Is everybody getting an Amber Alert? I saw I had one earlier. <laughs> um, the, the physical presence of Jesus Christ is about to ascend up into heaven, but you don't need to be concerned because I'm not going to leave you without my presence. Okay? So he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, another paraclete that is equal to him because he is him. Okay? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. So you know the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he resides inside of you. Okay, You know him, and he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. But notice this. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How is Jesus going to come to us? Through the Holy Comforter. Right? Through the Holy Spirit. So when we say that we want Jesus, and we need Jesus, we need God the Father, we need Jesus Christ, we need the presence of Jesus Christ on a daily basis, how does Jesus come to us today? Through the presence of the Holy Comforter. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I've really tried to incorporate, as I've tried to think about this, I've really tried to incorporate into my prayers, uh, just, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit today. Give me your Holy Spirit, because it fixes so many problems. Let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we know these verses very well as well. Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Now verse 25, I think really hits the nail on the head. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay? We need to be living in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit. And if we live in the Spirit, that should dictate our actions. If we live in the Spirit, it's going to dictate our walk. If we live in the Spirit, we're going to walk in the Spirit. And let's just think about this fruit of the Spirit that we we read very often. But every time that we're not fulfilling this fruit of the Spirit, okay, let's just look at the very first one. Love. Agape love. 
self-sacrificial love. If we're not exhibiting agape love in the manner that we ought to, what is that a symptom of? It is a symptom of a deficiency of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, If there is a level of, uh, maybe not even to the level of of hatred, where it says in uh, the Sermon on the Mount that if you hate your brother, uh, that you were the equivalent of of murdering him in your mind. But if there's uh, thoughts of, of envy or of jealousy or negative thoughts towards someone, that's definitely not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so where's that coming from? Where's it coming from? It's coming from a void of the Holy Spirit. Because if, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, then that stuff's not going to come out. Okay? Uh, what's the opposite of love? The opposite of love is hatred. Uh, let's just look at a very small sampling of right before this. Let's just back up to verse 16. Walk in the Spirit. Notice this. Walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? If you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you're not going to do all the deeds of the flesh. Why? Because you're filled up with the Holy Spirit. You're filled up with the things of God. You're not filled up with the things of the world. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. We have that warfare, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to the one or the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now notice just a small sampling of the works of the flesh, okay? All of these occur when there is a deficiency in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Adultery. Fornication. That's a lack of temperance. Self-control. Uncleanness. That's the opposite of goodness. Lasciviousness. Again, lack of self-control. Idolatry. Witchcraft. That's a lack of faith. Hatred. That's a lack of love. Variants, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Okay? Every one of those, and you can meditate on that in your own time, but every one of those are essentially the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Why? Because the flesh is the opposite of the Spirit. Because the world is the opposite of the Spirit. So if anyone is engaging in those activities, and children of God can get deceived and make mistakes, well, if that happens, and to varying degrees of uh, severity, okay, somebody may commit an external action that causes a lot of problems in their life, but we're just as guilty if we commit that internal action, too, if we're not controlling our thoughts. But if those thoughts occur... What's the real problem? What's the real meat issue? We're not living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, right? That's the real problem. So the Holy Spirit takes care of that, right? If you're really filled up with the Holy Spirit, (laughs) then these works of the flesh, there's not any room for them to come out. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I'll tell you, I just read this and I think about it in the negative. You know, if, if there are times that I'm not exhibiting agape, self-sacrificial love, that is a symptom of a deficiency in the Holy Spirit in my life. Marriage has been such a blessing for me. But marriage has also been a mirror <laughs> that's been held in front of my face to see how selfish and how lazy 
(laughs) and how self-centered I am. And when I think about that, I meditate on all of my shortcomings in every area of life, at home, at work. You know, I get uh, a couple weeks ago, I had some sinus problems, wasn't feeling good. And uh, I I thought I was just acting, you know, fairly normal at work. And then before uh, I left, uh, the executive assistant that her office is beside mine, me and her have a lot of interaction. And she just said, David, when you come back tomorrow, you need to be in a better mood and have a better attitude. (laughs) And I I didn't think I was, apparently I was taking out my lack of feeling good on everyone around. I didn't even realize that. And then... uh, uh, as I've tried to take an inventory from time to time of, you know, this is a situation that happened. I said something I shouldn't have. I had a bad attitude. And I try to have an a honest assessment of what happened, you know. And rarely is anything 100% anybody's fault. But, you know, sometimes it's 80, 20, 60, 40. You know, you need to be honest with yourself. <laughs> and uh, you need to uh, ask for the Holy Spirit to give you a little bit of, of clarity in that, too. But as I've uh, tried to meditate on that from time to time, you know, these are the mistakes I made today. Why did they occur? What's the symptom of that? Just about every circumstance, what I keep coming back to is, you know what? I really was not that in tune with the Lord when I said that thing I shouldn't have said. Um, don't turn here uh, because I just want to get a couple phrases uh, from this. Phrases you know pretty well. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. You know, it's, it's difficult to be honest when you know the other party's probably not going to like what you have to say. Okay? It's challenging. It's challenging. Now, the real challenge <laughs> is saying it in a way that it is received to where it can be productive instead of escalating any type of an issue. Well, you want to know the, you know, it says our, our speech should be always with grace, seasoned with salt. You want to know what that season, seasoning should be? The Holy Spirit, right? Because what's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, right? So what he's saying there essentially is speak the truth by the Holy Spirit, Right? Speak, the, and you're not going to say anything you shouldn't say if the Holy Spirit is guiding your thoughts, guiding your actions. And I know that we are never 100% full of the Holy Ghost and full of the Holy Spirit in the manner that we ought to. But the more in tune you are with the Holy Spirit, the less you're going to say something that you shouldn't say. Amen. Right? Um, Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 2 and walk in love. Walk in love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love, right? So what he's saying there is you need to be walking in the Holy Spirit. You need to be walking day by day in communion and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, because perfect love cast thou fear, right? And I think about that a lot because when I get... uh, Fear in and of itself is not a bad thing. Okay, You just have to channel it. You can't let it control you. There's a lot of positive things to to the internal response of fear that God has put inside of us, okay? But when you start letting it control you, 
in that verse, it speaks of fear having torment, all right? So if it's sort of tormenting you, um, then that is a symptom, okay? So when I get very anxious and I get very stressed and I get very afraid and I let that start consuming me, that is a symptom of a problem, okay? And what's that a symptom of? It's a symptom of I'm not working, walking in perfect love, right? And what is love the fruit of? The Spirit. And do you think that you're going to be nervous and afraid of, of everything in the, in the entire world uh, if, you, if you're filled up with the Holy Spirit? No, because what's the fruit of the Spirit? Faith, right? Right? And, and again, I don't have time to <laughs> chase all of these down, but, th- but if you really start meditating on these things, okay, just about every problem we have, you can track it back to a deficiency of the presence of the Holy Spirit, Okay? And that's why we need to pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is what? It's for the Spirit. Right? So it is impossible for us to please God without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life on a daily basis. Right? And this is not talking about the effect of the new birth. Because there's nothing that is uh, diminished about the faith or the Holy Spirit that resides in you. You know, think about uh, the verse in First uh, John chapter 5 and in verse 4 that people put too much emphasis on. Your faith overcomes the world. It says that. But there's a big difference between the indwelling nature of God, of faith in your heart, and the outward working of that faith. You know, think about the apostles. Uh, there are times that Jesus said, you have little faith. There's times Jesus said you have no faith. All right? What was the problem? They weren't working out what God had worked in. You know, your, your faith does not 100% overcome the world externally. Now, there's nothing that can be corrupted about the nature of the new birth into internally, right? But there's a big difference between, again, the indwelling nature of God and the new birth... They can't be corrupted. And then us working out what God has worked in. I mean, the apostles, again, they had little faith and they had no faith. How can we be pleasing to God? (laughs) The only way we can do it is if we're walking by faith. And the only only way we can be walking by faith is if we're walking in the Holy Spirit, right? Okay? Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Um, Just one more example to just show for you that the external expression of our actions goes back to internal problems, okay? Matthew chapter 15. We're just going to jump in right in the middle of Jesus' discussion here. Verse 18. But those things which proceedeth out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Out of the heart proceed... Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. These things come out of the heart. All right? So external actions of sin, where do they start at? From the heart. Because the heart is not in tune with the Holy Spirit in the manner that it ought to. And obviously we know these are the works of the flesh. <laughs> these are the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I'm sure 
uh, many of you have listened to uh, many Sonny Powell sermons just like I have, and I always enjoyed his uh, uh, messages on the kingdom of God and his depiction of the kingdom of God. You know, what is the kingdom of God? It has a lot of different aspects. All the elect family of God, the church, the kingdom of God dwelleth inside of you, right? It has a lot of different dimensions and aspects. But Brother Sonny's quote was always, the kingdom is wherever, the kingdom of heaven is wherever heaven is ruling. Right? Now, there's various levels to which the kingdom can be ruling in our life, in our heart, in our families, in our church. <laughs> you know, there's, there's various levels to which the kingdom can be ruling. But I think if you're living in the Spirit, right? If you're walking in the Spirit, then you're going to have heaven ruling in your heart. And if heaven is ruling in your heart, this stuff ain't going to come out. You understand that? Okay? So the external actions are all symptoms of an internal problem. And the internal problem is we just need the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. But with the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, the Christ in us, the hope of glory, through the Holy Spirit, we can do all things. Right? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I want to do a little bit of a survey of some instances in the book of Acts and the special filling and the special manifestation of the Holy Ghost in the life of God's children. Okay? Acts chapter 1. And in verse 5, Jesus speaking, again, right before He's about to ascend back up into heaven. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, as Primitive Baptists, we believe in baptism by full immersion. Certainly not sprinkling. Sprinkling doesn't even meet the definition of the word baptizo. But furthermore, in this context, do you want to just have a little bit of a sprinkling of the Holy Ghost on top of your head? Or do you want to be fully immersed in the Holy Ghost? <laughs> do you want to be fully filled up with the Holy Ghost? I'll take the Bible definition of, of baptism any day, right? Because <laughs> I, I need a whole lot more than just a minor little sprinkling of the Holy Ghost. I need the fullness of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to understand, this is saying you are going to be fully immersed. Okay? Fully immersed In the Holy Ghost. Now, what happens when they were fully immersed in the Holy Ghost? We see that in Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house that they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this was a special, not just this instance, but quite a few other instances in the book of Acts. In the first probably 20 years of the establishment of the church, you have this special miraculous manifestation of the gift of the Holy Ghost. And one of those special miraculous manifestations is speaking in tongues. But the biggest point here is not the way that some quote, Holy Ghost churches take it and 
want to say that the, the evidence of the new birth or the evidence of someone truly being filled with the Holy Ghost is speaking in unknown tongues, okay? No, the, the idea here is that they were fully immersed and consumed with the Holy Ghost. And in this context, and at this time, what that looked like was them speaking in tongues, okay? Now, we make our way to the end of the chapter, and well, not the end of the chapter. Verse 37, they hear the preaching of the gospel by Peter, who is, again, filled up uh, with the Holy Ghost, preaching in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And these children of God, they're already devout men. Okay, they're introduced to being devout men. They're already there in Jerusalem trying to worship God to the best of their ability on the day of Pentecost. They're pricked in the heart. They're convicted. They're having some internal spiritual heartburn, and they knew there was something they needed to do. Right? That compels, that, that kind of internal conviction uh, compels a child of God to action. Okay? So they said, we know we need to do something. What do we need to do? Okay? Verse 37. When they that heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? We know we need to do something because the Holy Spirit's convicting us. What do we need to do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There is a special gift of the Holy Ghost that comes to the, to the pricked soul of the child of God when they repent and they are baptized. But I'll tell you, we need the, whole, the gift of the Holy Ghost much more than one time in our life. Okay? And actually... Uh, again, early on in the church, this gift of the Holy Ghost was manifested in a very special, miraculous way, especially in the speaking of tongues. But the gift of the Holy Ghost and the promise of the gift of the Holy Ghost was not only given to this original church. Because it says in verse 39, for this promise is unto you. Okay? It's these people here on the day of Pentecost, these Jews. The promise is unto you but it's also to you here today too, okay? The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, and this is us, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, okay? So those that God has born again by His Holy Spirit, that He's called in the new birth, there is an invitation for you to repent and be baptized and receive the fullness of the Holy Ghost in your heart, the special communion and presence of God in your heart, that invitation is open to you today for repentance and baptism. But again, that is not a one-time event for us to be baptized one time. Now, the baptism happens one time, but the first part is a daily basis, right? <laughs> the repenting part. The, the feeling, the conviction of sin, the pricking in the heart, the pricking in the heart and the repentance. And when you follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit in that way, then you will feel a special, Ephesians chapter 1 calls it, when you believe, a sealing of the Holy Spirit. But again, I don't think that sealing is just a one-time sealing either. No. Yes, you need to believe to be baptized, but we go through periods of belief and unbelief every day, don't we? <laughs> So every time that you believe in that way, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit again. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit again when we repent. You see, we need to be filled up to the brim with the Holy Ghost. Why? 
Because if we're filled up with the Holy Ghost, there ain't, there ain't room for all these works of the flesh, right? There's not room for us to mess it up too much. If we're, if we're truly just getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit move through us. Again, don't turn here, but uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and it's very interesting, by the way, when these apostles were filled up with the Holy Ghost, the first accusation against them is these guys are full of new wine, they're drunk. Okay, why? Because their actions looked a lot different. <laughs> okay, the, the Holy Ghost was filling them up in such a way that their, that their actions looked a lot different than the people around them. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? And when we're filled up with the Holy Spirit, it's not going to look normal to the world. Okay? There's some people that saw these men filled up with the Holy Ghost and they said, man, these folks are drunk. (laughs) Well, it's uh, it's only early in the morning, whatever hour of the day it was there. Uh, it's too early for us to be drunk. No, they were just filled up to the brim with the Holy Ghost. And it changed their actions in a way that was very noticeable to the people around them. Okay? You know, when we're said, when we're commanded to not be drunk with wine, drinking wine in moderation is a person's liberty to do that. The problem comes when you allow that to affect your decisions and affect your actions, and you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit anymore. Your mind is being controlled by foreign substance. Okay? What he's saying is you should be so turned over to the Holy Spirit that that should be what is controlling your thoughts, controlling your actions, and controlling the, the manner in which you're walking. And if there's anything that gets in the way of that, that's sin. Okay? By the way, a point I missed as I was over there in uh, Matthew uh, 15. What's the greatest commandment? It's to love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all your mind. Well, what's the only way you can do that? Is being filled up by the Holy Spirit, right? Because what's love? It's the first fruit of the Spirit, right? And if you are filled up to the brim with the Holy Spirit, right? Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all your mind. If you're filled up to the brim with the Holy Spirit with love like that, you know, it's no problem to love your neighbor, is it? (laughs) No, because it's a natural just overflowing of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And uh, this is in a little context here where Peter, they've been thrown in prison. They got out. They said, don't preach again. And then he says in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. You know those verses very well. Verse 32. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. And we are His witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Okay? Now, the gift of the Holy Ghost and all these references to the, to the Holy Ghost in, in the book of Acts, you really have to make sure you rally divide these properly. There's a lot of people that, uh, that's a challenge for them <laughs> in other uh, denominations. Because 
They believe every time the gift of the Holy Ghost or a Holy Ghost reference like this is mentioned that it's always talking about the new birth, okay? But we don't, we're not born again by obedience to God. We're not born again by works. We're born again by the sovereign work of God. But also, God is going to give you this special gift of the Holy Ghost, this special manifestation of Him in your heart when you obey Him. Right? When you're following the commandments of God and following the Word of God, He's going to give you the special presence of God in your heart, and that's going to be guiding your actions. It's going to be uh, guiding your walk. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Okay? Acts chapter 6. We now have the first division and the first problem in the church. You know, everything's awesome up to this point. And, surprise, surprise, it's partiality, it's cliques, it's people favoring one person over another in the church. That was the first problem in the church and hadn't really gone away either. All right, so now how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? You know what? The apostles say, you know, we really need to give ourselves continually to prayer to the ministry of the word. So we're going to appoint people. And this is already a tense environment, right? This is already a difficult situation. So if you're going to navigate all these people, they get their feelings hurt. They, these people think other people are being preferred, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you're going to not just do this, you know, at this point, it's not just about handing out food anymore. <laughs> no, it's about dealing with mediating conflict. All right. Now, how are you going to navigate this properly? Well, we really need some people who were full of the Holy Ghost, right? right? And that was the qualifications for these men. Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you, what a great commendation of these seven men. Because their fullness of the Holy Ghost was manifested in their actions in such a way that the church identified them as being These are men that are full of the Holy Ghost. You know, this is part of the reason why fellowship is so important. Is because many times I don't feel very full of the Holy Ghost, but there's just some people, and thankfully with Bethlehem, I believe your pastor's one of them. Some people, when you're just around them, you feel like the Holy Ghost just like, overflows and dumps on you. And those are the people I need to be around. Those are the people I need to recharge my batteries. Because if I'm deficient in that, I need to be around people who are full of the Holy Ghost. And certainly I want to be one of those people who, not in a prideful way, but I want to be one of those people who People want to be around when they need their Holy Ghost recharge, if you'll let me put it like that. But unfortunately, I know the answer to that question, <laughs> and rarely am I. So that means I need to walk, and that means I need to pray for the Holy Ghost, right? <laughs> it means I need to pray for God to give me that. But we need to be around those kind of people, and we need to strive to be, be one of those people, right? Someone that's so full of the Holy Ghost that their cup is so running over with the Holy Ghost that you get wet just being around them. We all need to strive to be that. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus at this time, 
uh, is, uh, I believe, born again here on the road to Damascus. Because you want to talk about just assessing the fruit of the Spirit before, i.e. the works of the flesh before, and the, and the uh, fruit of the Spirit after. Uh, he was not manifesting many fruit of the Spirit prior to this. Okay? And I believe there's plenty of other verses to back that up, but that's another topic for another day. But the reason why that's important, though, all right, the reason why it's important to make that distinction, whether it's pre-Acts 9 or not, that doesn't matter. All right. What matters is that he was born again before Ananias showed up. Okay? And the reason why that matters is because Ananias tells him in verse 17. So he makes his way to Damascus. He's blinded three days without. You want to talk about, okay, these these men in Acts chapter 2, they were they were pricked in the heart. They were convicted. I just cannot imagine the kind of conviction that the Apostle Paul must have felt for three days, blinded, not able to eat anything. I don't think he was having a three-day fast all of a sudden. I think he was so sick to his stomach physically over him consenting to the death of Stephen, all these things he did. I'll tell you, (laughs) the Apostle Paul, he got saved when Ananias showed up. I'll tell you, he needed some deliverance. He needed some uh, salvation by the power of the gospel. And praise God, God had had orchestrated for uh, Ananias to deliver him that message. But he was absolutely miserable for three days, as he ought to have been. Okay? So, he's born again. The Holy Spirit resides in his heart. But there has not been a sealing of the Holy Spirit yet. Okay? That peace and that assurance that comes from justification by faith. Okay? So then, God tells Ananias, you go find him. Uh, And his uh, confirmation of uh, that he's born again, by the way, there's a lot to be said for Ananias in this story because he knew, word had got out, that Saul was, he wasn't just, you know, making a personal trip to Damascus. People knew that he was showing up with letters to haul people to jail. That was well known by the people in Damascus, okay? Because Ananias knew it. And when God tells him to go preach to him, he says, for behold, he prayeth. Okay, now now the Apostle Paul, he, he prayed some Pharisee prayers before, no doubt. But this was the confirmation that he was a new creature to Ananias. And we can't truly pray. You know, people can say words that may give the indication of of a prayer, but true prayer can't be made by anyone other than a child of God because the only way that your prayers are even heard before God is by the intercession of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that confirmation of not just that, but... uh, God tells him that he's a chosen vessel unto me and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. And then he shows up and he calls him Brother Saul, right? So he's converted. <laughs> Ananias was converted uh, to believe in uh, Paul's conversion. If you let me put it like that. Uh, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto me in the way as thou camest has sent me 
and thou hast received thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes and it had been scales and he received his sight forthwith and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received strength, he was strengthened. And Paul was certain days uh, uh, with the disciples that were at Damascus. And particularly for him, because he was a chosen vessel, what was the manifestation of, uh, of him being filled with the Holy Ghost? Not just being baptized, but he immediately in verse 20, goes and preached Christ in the synagogue that he was the Son of God. <laughs> so in his context, he was immediately filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that he went preaching. Okay? But there was an external manifestation, okay, of an internal change. And he was filled up with the Holy Ghost. Um, <clears throat> we're not just dependent <clears throat> on the Holy Ghost in our uh, daily discipleship, you know, we're fully dependent upon the gift of the Holy Ghost in the church and worship. You know, we're commanded to worship in spirit and in truth. Okay? Um, all aspects of our worship services. We sing in the spirit. We preach in power and demonstration of the spirit. We pray in the spirit. You know, we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just, uh, if you've ever been in a uh, worship service without the presence of the Holy Spirit, you've known it. Why? Because it's dry. It's dead. I've been there. It's a big difference when the Holy Spirit should. That's another manifestation of the gift of the Holy Ghost, in my opinion. <clears throat> so we're dependent upon God in worship, but we're, we're dependent on God uh, just in the functioning of the local body. I mean, think about all these. How, how does one uh, member get along with another member? When we have different personalities, we have different backgrounds, we have different opinions, how do we all get along? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, right? It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to function in that way. And there's people in uh, Christianity today that say... Maybe they say it in more of a prideful way than they should. Maybe thumbing their lapels a little bit. You know, we're a Holy Ghost church. We're a Holy Ghost church. And what they mean by that is that they roll around on the floor, they run around, and they speak in tongues that nobody can understand. Well, if you look at one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of them is temperance, which is self-control. All right? Uh, we need to be a Holy Ghost church. Thank you, Brother Tim. Thank you. <laughs> As Primitive Baptists, we need to be a Holy Ghost church. But how is the Holy Ghost church manifested? It's not by speaking unknown tongues. You know, Jesus, I mean, the Apostle Paul made that very clear. 1 Corinthians 14. Even in, the, even in a time, this is, he's not saying you don't need to speak in tongues. He's saying, look, I thank God that I speak more than you all. This is during a time period where it was still being manifested. But he said, look, if you don't have an interpreter, you don't need to speak in tongues. Just that simple. And by the way, even if you do have an interpreter, uh, prophesying in that context, preaching, is better because it edifies everybody. All right? So a Holy Ghost church is not identified by, you know, speaking in, in babbling unknown tongues. Okay? That, that's not even the gift of tongues according to the New Testament anyway. <laughs> okay? But we need to be a Holy Ghost church. Because that is where the Holy Ghost is, is manifesting in our worship. 
And it's great to feel the presence of God uh, in a special way in worship. But what's more important is that we're a Holy Ghost church with the members of the body every single day. Right? That every member of the church, because you are the church, every member of the body is living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit every single day. You see? Second Corinthians chapter 13 and in verse 14 to conclude. And what a beautiful benediction. You know, he's had to uh, uh, really rake the Corinthian church over the coals, especially in the first epistle. And thankfully they received it well, but he, he was still kind of hard on on the second one too. But he really has had to rake this church over the coals. And they needed to be. They had a lot of problems. But what a great benediction. What a great closing thought that he gave this church here at the conclusion of his second letter to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Okay? So first of all, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to... I tell you, if you want to deliver somebody a, a blessing... Say, I pray that the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ abides in your life. Amen. (laughs) That's what I need every day. I need the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ in my life. I need the love of God the Father. I need the presence. I need to feel God's love for me every day because if I feel His presence for me, then that's going to fill me up with the Holy Ghost and I'm going to try to exhibit that agape love to somebody else too, right? And then the communion of the Holy Ghost. To have fellowship with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Boy, it's great to have fellowship in a, in a worship service, in a big meeting. And, and I'll tell you, you, there ain't nothing like it. There ain't nothing like it. Feeling that, that mercy. Have you ever been baptized by the Holy Ghost in a meeting? <laughs> I've been baptized by the Holy Ghost in a meeting because you just feel immersed in it. But I need to feel that every day. Why? Because that's the mountaintop. <laughs> I mean, that's the mountaintop. But, I mean, I need, I need the baptism and the immersion of the Holy Ghost at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday <laughs> uh, when I'm, I'm in a meeting where I'm dealing with conflict. Yeah. You know, I, I need the, the presence of the Holy Ghost on a daily basis in every area of my life. Okay? And what a greater blessing can you, can you offer to anyone than say, you know what, I pray that the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ abides in your life. I pray that the love, the agape love of God the Father, and that you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, we were made for fellowship with God. We were made for fellowship with God. Um, in the uh, Garden of Eden, before they sinned, We find after they did that, that what they were used to doing was walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. I mean, can you imagine that? Walking in this beautiful garden with God in perfect fellowship and perfect communion. And you're just walking with with fellowship uh, and communion with God in the Garden of Eden. Well, we can't find that right now, but we're going to return to that in heaven at the last day, praise God, right? But we were made for communion with God. We were made for communion with God. And, and what is the 
manifestation of God's presence to His church here today? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And if we fellowship and we have that fellowship of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, it just takes care of everything. It takes care of everything. I mean, uh, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. You know how you do that? Walk in the Spirit. Fellowship in the Spirit. And you might be like me and look at this inventory of, of uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life and say, wow, I have a real deficiency. I have a real deficiency. Well, God's so good. He said, if you ask it, ask it, uh, me to give it to you, I'll give it to you. <laughs> and just like wisdom. He says in uh, James chapter 1, look, if any of you like wisdom, ask me. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Well, I could say uh, probably in the same way, wisdom is not a fruit of the Spirit directly from Galatians chapter 5. But where does wisdom come from? It doesn't come from the world, no doubt. You know, when he says, I'll give you wisdom, I think what he's really saying there is, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, right? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to discern the, the circumstances of your life and make good decisions. And uh, isn't it great that God... Even in our natural life and our needs, and there's nothing we need more than the Holy Spirit, but, but in, our, in our daily provisions, um, he says, if you ask me according to your will and you need it, I, as a good Heavenly Father, I'm going to give you what you need. But that's just in a temporal, providential sense. Do you understand that? How much more so when we pray the right prayer to say, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit. Give me your Holy Spirit. You know, some quick, some prayers in Scripture are very quick. You know, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And we need to be specific in our prayers. We need to, um, I've been very convicted. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, Epaphras labored fervently in prayers. And I don't do that. And I'm trying to repent of that. So there's, a, there's an intensity that we need to have in prayer and a, and a dedication and a, and, uh, and a structure to that. But at the same time, if you can just pray very quickly, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit. That's about the best prayer you can pray. Lord, just give me your Holy Spirit. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We hope God can add His blessing to the preaching of His Word and that uh, our thoughts have been edifying to you this evening. Love you. Thank you for the ability to speak to you this evening.